Sons of the Mad Guy. It's me, Reese. I'm the Mad Guy, and I'm here alone. Cold and alone. No. No, I miss my good friend Jake. He's on vacation right now in Costa Rica. Which he didn't invite me to, but that's okay. That's fine. Invites his girlfriend, doesn't invite his boss. I get it. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, I'm. I'm think Jake's having a great time. I'm very happy for him. Very excited. <laughs> and actually, I've been meaning to do a solo one alone. You know, um, because we haven't done that in a while, and I miss you guys. And I feel like you miss me. Do you miss me? Am I projecting, Daddy? Do you miss me? No. Okay. Doomsday preppers. Can we get into this? For a little while there, during 2020, COVID, meltdown, mania, world going insane, it looked like the doomsday preppers were right. This isn't a controversial take. I'm not the first person to say it. A lot of people were patting them on the back, saying they did a good job. Because it seemed for a second there that they were going to get away with their craziness. <laughs> that, the, that the bunkers were justified and the um, all the canned goods stockpiling, driving their families to live underground with no windows just because of the inevitable chaos. But that's really the point I'm driving at here is even if there was some sort of situation where the power grid goes out and there's no government, it's complete anarchy, um, which wouldn't be a bad thing. <laughs> it would be fun. It'd be better than TikTok. Maybe. I don't know. But um, if that did happen, grid goes out, no structure, no capitalism, no communism, no government, can't go to the grocery store, fending for ourselves, fighting our neighbors, wearing rags. Be kind of hot. <laughs> We'd be all sweaty. Now, um, my take is, leave me out of it. I don't give a fuck. I'm not going to uh, learn how to operate a rocket launcher. I'm not going to run around an amusement park trying to fend off Nazi zombies. I say if a world disaster comes, which proves the doomsday preppers right, because remember, they weren't proven right by COVID. As bad as COVID was, that didn't even satisfy the end of world, <laughs> you know, cause maybe they went into their, uh, maybe they went into their bunker and got a couple cans of beans during the first couple weeks of COVID. But eventually people realized you were, you could still Amazon anything to your bedroom window, essentially, <laughs> you know, I mean, no, it was bad. It killed a lot of people, but, uh, there was no need for canned beans. I didn't have can canned beans once. The power grid didn't go out. 
Uh, actually, I got sent like multiple thousands of dollars by the government. <laughs> it's like basically the opposite of a world end situation, right? Okay, so even if those guys were right and a meteor struck and they got what they were hoping for, I say kill me with the meteor. <laughs> Would going to heaven, if that's where I'm going, but I don't really believe in hell. And I don't think you would go anywhere that you don't believe in. <laughs> that I do believe in. I don't believe you can go to a place that you don't believe in. You know what I mean? Like, no one can force you. Or if someone did force you to go to a place that you didn't believe existed, say you had no idea where that Lima, Peru existed. If you're a 19-year-old Irish girl who's on vacation in uh, Mallorca, Spain, if a drug dealer convinces you to go to Lima, Peru, and you had no conception that that was a place that existed before, you're still going to end up in Lima, Peru. This is like the worst segue ever. Um, I would just want to talk about Michaela McCollum. Have you guys heard about this? Uh, I don't even remember what I was talking about. I think doomsday preppers and COVID. Fuck that. I'm bored of COVID. No more of that. I promise you guys. No more of that. Um, Michaela McCollum. This is what we're moving on to. Is a 19 year old was a 19 year old Irish girl who went on holiday as they call it i've never been on holiday before that's what she said she went on holiday to um mallorca spain (laughs) and she uh was partying up i don't think she'd ever taken drugs before that was sort of the vibe this is a netflix on document this is a netflix this is a documentary on netflix you guys can check out she went to mallorca spain took a bunch of drugs at a party, including acid, met a guy named Mateo. Mateo says to her, hey, you're a really great girl, super fun, um, super cool, super Irish. Could you do a favor for me and I'll pay you $5,000? And then she goes, well, yeah, five grand. That sounds... Wow, that's excellent. (laughs) I don't know how they talk. Um, But she says something stupid like that. She goes, five grand, sure, for a guy named Mateo. And he goes, I just need you to deliver some drugs, right? And she goes, oh, are you like dangerous? And then he sends, he says, I need you to deliver some cocaine from Barcelona. Which, you know, mind you, they're in Mallorca. So Barcelona, not that far. In country. I might even be tempted by that offer, right? Um, You need to meet me at this house tomorrow. And she goes, great, I'll meet you. Five grand, that'd be great. I think she has some plan. She wants to like run away from her family and live in Spain. So she's like, oh, that'll be the perfect starting money for that, right? And so (laughs) this is all her testimony, by the way. 
it's not even disputed. This is what she says. Then he, then she shows up at this house in Mallorca. And um, the guy there, she meets another girl that's like her age. She's like 19 or 18. And like a British girl, I think. They're, these people are all from the UK. And um, she's like, oh, hi. Like, who are you? And she's like, oh, you know, I'm friends with Mateo. Um, we're, I'm going to do this thing. And she's like, oh, yeah, me too. I guess we're doing it together, right? They're like, yeah, great. So then Mateo sits them down. The drugs aren't at this house. He says, you actually need to go. There's a quick, you just need to take a plane. Uh, <laughs> there's a plane trip now involved in this transaction um, to Lima. Now, I know I already spoiled where Lima is, and I'm sort of hoping that a decent percentage of you know where Lima is in relation to Mallorca, Spain. (laughs) Uh, But Michaela did not know that Lima was, in fact, on a different continent (laughs) about 7,000 miles away. Uh, She thought Lima was another Spanish city. Right. So she figures, okay, you know, five grand. I'm going to take a quick flight. Maybe what could it be? How big is Spain? It could be a two hour flight at most to Lima. I'll pick up the drugs. I'll bring them back to Mallorca. I'll have five grand and I'll continue to party. Sounds great. Uh, Would be great if Lima were actually in Spain. Instead of Peru. (laughs) So then, and mind you, this could all be bullshit. Maybe she knew where Lima was the whole time. She was going along with it. We don't know what her level of culpability is here, right? Uh, But she decides, well, she doesn't decide anything. She she goes, great. She gets on the plane with the ticket that uh, Mateo gave her. And... uh, She's sitting on the plane. She's like, oh, this will be good. You know, I can't wait to spend a few more months in Spain with that five grand. And then the thing, the, the trite, the flight tracker comes on. <laughs> you know, if you're on like a long flight, it, it shows you the map and it shows you where you're going. And then it says 12 hours. And it's a 12-hour flight. I think it was literally something like 7,000 miles, if not more. Uh, Because not only... And, you know, my South America knowledge, uh, geography knowledge, was not that great. So I was like, oh, maybe maybe it is like a closer flight. Maybe it's at least (laughs) just across the Atlantic Ocean. (laughs) Like one of the biggest oceans. But, uh... No, it's not even just across the Atlantic Ocean. It's across the Atlantic Ocean and the rest of South America. It's on, like, the other side. (laughs) So it's the longest possible flight, essentially, you could have from Spain to South America. And it's 12 hours. And apparently this girl, Michaela McCollum, is sitting there and just like, what the hell have I done? And you'd think that at this point, you'd think that when you saw that you were on a 12-hour flight to Peru, you would spend that time thinking about how to get out of the situation that you are currently in. (laughs) 
I would, you know, they didn't have like Wi-Fi on planes at this time. This was about 2013, I think. It's in this time frame. You know, you're not going to be calling anyone or getting yourself out of it in that situation. But you'd think you'd panic for about three hours and say, what the fuck have I done? And then you would spend about nine (laughs) hours thinking about how to not do this anymore. Whatever the fuck you're doing, right? And so she doesn't do that. She panics for 12 full hours and she gets to Lima and she's texting Mateo, what the fuck? I thought I was going, (laughs) I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. And then Mateo's texting her and saying, it's okay, you're beautiful. (laughs) He says, it's all covered. You're going to pick up the drugs. You're going to look like a tourist. You're going to come home. It'll be great. Bada bing, bada boom. And then we're supposed to believe uh, that Michaela was like, oh, he, that silver tongue devil, (laughs) he wooed me into this. So then she stays, no, 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 she takes a bus from Lima to a place called like Cusco, Peru. (laughs) It's like a two hour bus ride into the middle of this country. And at this point, she's like, what the fuck? Mateo goes, don't worry. You're just going to be there for another seven to nine days. (laughs) Seven to nine days. And he's instructing her and the other girl that she met at home, who apparently is totally chill with this. Like, I don't know what I wanted to hear her story. I don't know if she's like some sort of badass season drug dealer but apparently she doesn't give a fuck about this she expected this the whole time she's in peru going along with it pretending to be like a tourist whereas michaela mccullough is freaking out yelling on the bus telling tourists other tourists like that she's doing something illegal here (laughs) because she's freaking out right and She says, I don't want to do this shit anymore. I don't want to be on this weird vacation pretending I'm having a good time when I thought I was going on a two-hour plane ride to somewhere else in Spain. And I ended up on the other side of the world, right? And uh, Mateo finally says, all right, this is where you're going to meet to get the drugs. Meanwhile, the family at home freaking out. Like, she's 19, she's about to go to uni, or whatever, right? (laughs) Uni, I'm about to go to uni. She passed her owls. (laughs) She passed her owls, she's gonna go to Hogwarts. And her parents are freaking out, they think she's dead, she hasn't been answering her phone, um, because she's in Peru, and only the phone that Mateo gave her works, like the burner. (laughs) Also, Mateo has, like, spies in Peru. He's watching them and, like, sending them texts like, oh, you girls are doing great. Saw that you went to the museum in the square today, right? Like, ominously watching them. And uh, eventually he gives them the drugs, and it's, I think they said it was 10,000, what makes sense here? Kilos? That doesn't make sense, I don't think. Because a kilogram, that would be 5,000 pounds, <laughs> right? If I'm not. I don't actually remember how much a kilogram is. But anyway, it was upwards of a million dollars worth of cocaine 
gets dumped on these two girls in like some hotel room in Cusco, Peru. And it's all wrapped in oatmeal packaging. Uh, and so uh, then Michaela says something fucking hilarious. She goes, and like, what are they going to think? Like, I'm going through security. Like, what, they think we just really fucking love oatmeal. It's like 600 bags of oatmeal. And it's true. It's like their entire suitcase is just like stuffed <laughs> with these oatmeal bags. And so it is the most retarded plan ever. And you kind of go like, how do these drug dealers even think they're going to get away with this. And right when you're thinking that, that's why this documentary is actually not bad. They cut to this, uh, like, uh, DEA version of like the Peruvian DEA. And he's like, Oh yeah, no, this is an extremely common strategy where a guy like, like a suave sort of like smooth talking guy like Mateo will convince, uh, innocent people to not that they're innocent, they still have to choose to do this. They sort of have to be swindled into it, um, but they'll convince them to be drug mules to carry across, say, like a million dollars worth of cocaine, right? And uh, I think what they said was it was over a hundred kilos, right? That would make sense if each girl had like whatever, thirty pounds or fifty pounds in their suitcase because it was a lot. Like their suitcases are full, right? So they'll convince these people to try to carry over like a hundred kilos. And then Mateo himself will, or, you know, someone in his gang will call the police on them to have them caught on purpose to divert the attention from the 10 other mules they have with a hundred kilos each. So they sacrifice a hundred kilos and get these girls caught. And then they get a thousand kilos through and they call it like a, uh, um. Well, just the cost of doing business. I can't. There was some word for it, like some sunk cost, or you know, some business term for it. You know how, how business like the DEA is. Uh, so they, it was apparently the the theory is that this scheme with the two Irish chicks, where they just had no idea what they were doing and just got stuffed with a hundred kilos of cocaine, was just a distraction. And of course this distraction got them both six and a half years in Peruvian prison. <laughs> like they're going through the security and before their bag even makes it to the thing that checks the bag, they were already arrested and pulling out all the shit from the things. So it's really a tra it's sort of a tragic story. They sort of did it to themselves. There was a bit of manipulation here at play. But then Michaela, they do the last episode and usually the fourth episode of a three-part documentary is complete garbage. <laughs> like complete utter filler horseshit cuz I don't know. I don't know why they do that just to make a little more money off it or something or get a little more attention. But this one was actually good because it showed Michaela in prison in Peruvian prison for, well, women, women's prison, because she's a woman. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it would have been a little bit different in the men's prison, but she started a hair salon. She was making more money. She made, she ended up making more money at the hair salon in the prison. Cause they were also explaining like Peruvian prison works a little different. Like prisoners can start businesses and like handle cash and they can do stuff. And they also get to wear their normal clothes, which I thought was interesting. Um, 
it's still a hellhole. Like the food is shit, cockroaches everywhere, a lot of violence, a lot of drugs. Uh, but there's differences which make it bearable in certain ways, I guess. And so Michaela, she was like, fuck it. I'm going to at least get the best I can get out of this with some help from some mentor she had. I don't even, I don't really know what that relationship was, but she's like, I'm going to get the best. I'm going to learn Spanish, which she did probably pretty well, right? To get, and then she became like some sort of, uh, some sort of representative for the prisoners to the prison staff. They call it the delegado. I think, I hope I'm not butchering that. Um, but, and, uh, and then she started her own hair salon in the prison. And then within a year and a half, uh, because she was making money, she was able to bribe her way into like a court hearing, which is hilarious. Like she had to bribe her way. And they were very open about that in the documentary. She's like, yeah, the way it works in Peru is, uh, actually first you need a thousand dollars to get the court date because you can get it but then it won't come for 10 years unless you give the guy that's setting it up a thousand bucks, then he'll put your name at the top. Right. So that's just like part of the system there, I guess. But anyway, she got out in like a year and a half. So good for Michaela. I think more young intrepid Irish girls should be, uh, moving over to Peru to traffic large amounts of cocaine. Uh, I think, (laughs) No, I don't know. It was an interesting uh, documentary. I think you, you guys should check it out uh, if you'd like. Although I did just kind of break down every single interesting part about it. Uh, I just don't know. Like, what's her culpability here? I'm glad she got out a lot quicker than six and a half years. I don't think she deserved six and a half years. I think she probably did deserve about a year and a half. That's sort of God at work, don't you think? (laughs) He's like, yeah, I'll get you into some fucked up situation where some drug dealer in Mallorca is scamming you into being in a Peruvian prison just so he can make a couple million bucks. But I'll teach you Spanish. I'll let you open a nail salon. I'll get you out in a year and a half. (laughs) That's a funny world we live in. I think love don't judge is running out of ideas. Have you guys seen this love? I don't, I think I've talked about them before. Maybe, maybe not, but it used to be, it was this Snapchat news type. Uh, what do you even call those publication? If you can call it that, it's like a, they just make those sensationalist sort of like 30 second reviews of stuff. Usually it's about like some porn star ripping off a NBA player (laughs) or, uh, it's like, uh, or it's that guy, uh, Daniel, Daniel Mack. He goes around to people's cars and he asks them how they made or how they got their car, which is kind of interesting. Um, but another one that is very popular and I see very often is called Love Don't Judge. And of course, it is the most judgmental, <laughs> like the very nature of it is to judge the love uh, by implying that there's something to be judged at all, right? Because what they do is it'll be like a really, really tall guy and then a midget. 
<laughs> and it'd be like, love, don't judge. But it's like completely capitalizing off of your desire to judge that relationship. Like the only reason you would click on that is because you feel as if there's something, I don't know, unnatural or interesting or judge worthy. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe it's harping on our uh, greatest compassionate impulses or whatever. But something tells me the purpose of it or the is judgmental. But regardless of that, love don't judge. Sometimes it's a, you know, a really tall person, a short person. Sometimes it's like, um, a really, really, really ugly guy and like a really hot woman. And the guy ain't got no money. He got nothing. It's not like a gold digging situation. She just loves him a lot because he's funny or he's just their soulmates, you know, and she doesn't care about his looks. And, um, you know, rarely it's the vice versa of that. (laughs) I'm just thinking of right now. Um, which is another thing to critique love. Don't judge. Uh, one of them was a dude with his, uh, his girlfriend is a dog, not a literal dog, but it's like a girl that acts like a dog. She sleeps in a cage and he walks her on a leash. Uh, It's a little weird taking doggy style to like a whole different level uh <laughs> pretty fucking crazy but anyway so i'll ju- i judge that one but i shouldn't because they don't judge snapchat doesn't judge love don't judge but i do think they're running out of ideas because the most recent one i saw was a guy who tells his girlfriend what to do a lot <laughs> i feel like this is the least out there concept ever it was like some girl and she was like oh my man like he just um tells me like what to cook him and then the weird thing is this is why I guess it got on there because I did watch it because but only for the purpose of calling it out because I've noticed as a trend it's now it's like but this one was the dude told her how to dress which I'm not sure that I understood why he would even want to do that. Like, and he was making her cheap. To be honest, his sense of style, probably not that bad for a dude that's making his woman cook him shit (laughs) and dressing her and telling her who she can be friends with and stuff. But, uh, I don't know. Just weird. Like, do you think dudes like that guy? Like, do you think anybody likes that guy? Is that what a pimp is? Love Don't Judge is just moving into like pimp culture. They're running out of ideas. So they're exposing like criminal. <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to say the dude's criminal. Like obviously the, the, the woman has some ability to leave hypothetically. But at the point where he's dressing her. It's like psychological. I don't even know. Who knows? People were throwing soup on a Monet painting to protest climate change. Do we think that Monet was a huge proponent for big oil? <laughs> like, do we think that Monet was would have also been against climate change? That's where I'm at. Like, I don't see how ruining his 
trillion dollar painting from 200 years ago. I know it's not his. They were probably throwing it on some oil chic and it got on the painting. But let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater here. You know what I mean? Climate change is a big problem. Big problem. We got to fix it. Not sure if we need to piss on a Picasso to do so. You know what I mean? Anyway, this has been quite a ramble. Long enough as it is. Thank you, my loyal listeners. Much love, much appreciation. I'll talk to you soon. I'll be back. I'll be back.